Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is sponsored by Happy Fox Health, a natural supplement brand focused on CMOS, a marine algae that has 92 out of 102 essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive and regenerate. I've used a number of their products and found it's really given me clarity of mind. Visit happyfoxhealth.com and use promo code THECRAFT for an exclusive 15-20% to 20% discount off your first product purchase. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Anna Hyde has an animated energy that in turn energizes all of those around her. The co-founder of Luxury Linen Bedding Company, Flax Home, has a million creative ideas and personal interests, and she develops deep relationships with others quickly. Prior to launching Flax with two business partners, she was in restaurants and hospitality, running the Hawksworth Group's Bell Cafe for seven years. She was born outside of Toronto in a town called Newmarket, before her parents bought a piece of five-acre land where her civil servant father built their family home with friends over a summer. Her mother homeschooled Anna and her sister, wanting them to have a broader experience through the amount of time spent at the library, going to plays, and doing extracurricular activities. Each year, her mother always asked them if they wanted to go to regular school, and when Anna was 12 years old, she made the choice to go to high school. There, she played field hockey and immersed herself in theater. After high school, she went to the University of Guelph, where she got her Bachelor of Commerce. She was hired by longtime hospitality veteran Chad Clark to manage Bell Cafe, the cafe side of Hawksworth Restaurant, after a role at the Fairmont's Empress Hotel and a stint in wine sales. He gave her the task of getting to know everyone in the downtown core and treating them as if she was welcoming them into her own home. It was there that she met her friends and future business partners, who were regular customers with whom she often brainstormed ideas. In 2017, they launched direct-to-consumer Flax Sleep, now known as Flax Home, which has grown quickly since coming to market and has a showroom and warehouse in East Vancouver. In this conversation, we talk about the nature of homeschooling and how it allowed her to love learning, how growing up doing theater and performing dovetailed nicely into her hospitality career, the way she developed friendships with her Bell Cafe customers, Anna's natural journey into entrepreneurship, exercising her love for arts and creativity in business, the process of growing quality linen, how her business partners are mirrors for her, the things that bring Anna joy, and much more. Please enjoy this lively conversation with the sharp, creative, and spirited Anna Hyde. 
Anna Hyde. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to the craft. Good. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, so am I. So am I. I, We owe a huge thank you to Amanda Lee Smith. We sure do. Who is the person who connected us. Yeah. Amanda is a previous guest. And uh, after she was done recording, she was like, you need to meet Anna. And I was like, you know what? I do. Why don't you make the intro? And when she told me, I was like, you told me to reach out to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very flattered. We made it happen. Because I think our first chat was sometime in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then there were just a bunch of things going on. And here we are on a rainy November afternoon. Months later. (laughs) Months later. Months later. How are you feeling? Good. Good. Yeah. yeah, I was at the, when we met, I was at the beginning of a, a bit of a nomadic summer where I moved out of my home of seven and a half years and sort of bounced around for a few months. And now I'm back in a new space and finally starting to feel settled there. Good. So, good. Yeah. What was it? Was it hard to leave your, your old place? Seven it, years is a long time, yeah, nearly yeah, a decade. Yeah, it was. And it was really a place that, um, it was a home. Like I, I'm settled in my new place and it's nice, but I still have like pangs of feeling homesick. Mm. Um, and it was the first place that I ever, I rented, but lived myself and, and really allowed probably for the first time in my adult life to like re-engage with the creative side of myself and the things that my sort of adult businesshood life hadn't made space and time for. Um, and it was a place where I had a group of women form craft night and where I built furniture for my space and did art and learned to indigo dye and made sourdough bread, fermented so many things um, and went through a lot of changes, um, both personal and in my career as well. And so really special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's it was difficult to leave. Um, and I'm trying to look at the the it's, it will be exciting to make this place a home or or to spend some time there as I journey to where my next true home is. Right, yeah. right. I mean, places hold memory too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because I was thinking about it the other day. I mean, I live in Mount Pleasant. Uh, I've been in my space for five years. Yeah. Um, going on six, I think next. Yeah, I think it'll be six next year, um, and it is five now. Anyways, you know, a significant amount of time. And mm-hmm. I had been thinking, you know, when I do, because that time will will come where I'm going to want to move elsewhere, maybe to a, a bigger space, um, you know, reflecting on like, oh, my gosh, my time in that place will have re- represented a huge chapter of my life yeah. because I moved in there um, sort of in my – corporate career years and there was a lot of growth during those years and uh yeah so uh, yeah it's really interesting to think about homes as memory holders yeah yeah Mm -hmm. definitely Mm -hmm. and where are you now you went from South Granville to so actually I was at Trout Lake oh okay yeah so East Vancouver to a different part of East Vancouver I'm at uh, in the Fraser Hood now okay and actually Mm -hmm. basically in right in the middle of Viv and Juana, my two business partners. Oh. So we're all like, I'm on Fraser. Juana's a block off Fraser. Viv is two blocks off Fraser. So we're all in a, a corridor, very close together. Very close. <laughs> Easy walking distance. Mm-hmm. Um, great neighborhood. Lots of um, trips to Ubuntu. Um, I love that spot. Which mm-hmm. uh, my old neighborhood local was Florist, which yeah. I miss, but our office is across the street from their Hastings 
uh, location. So I still get all the flowers I need. And I'm actually doing a few um, sort of guest star shifts at Flowers in the no evenings. No way. Right now. <laughs> yes, because I do miss my hospitality life. It's amazing. Uh, it's just like riding a bike. And oh my it's gosh. It's really fun to be back doing that. As That's well. lovely. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know what? And you mentioned Ubuntu. Shout out to the folks at Ubuntu because they are so lovely. So lovely. And uh, I was there maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was a friend's birthday dinner. I had arrived later. I had had, had another dinner, but I had just come to, to, hang, to hang out. Yeah. And before I left, the lovely folks, before we all left actually, the lovely folks gave us bread. Amazing. And we're like, take, take this loaf home. And it's like, what? This is so nice. <laughs> Who does this? <laughs> Sometimes it happens at Flowerist at the end of the night, too. Can't guarantee oh, okay, it. Okay. No promises. <laughs> but Listeners of nice, Van, hot it tips. It is such a nice sort of surprise and delight. And I think mm -hmm. that, yeah, when we when that happens, when, when you're engaging in service and things like that can yeah. happen. And it resonates. It's, you know, for them, they were like, we need to get rid of this bread. Yep. And for you, it's it, like it resonates. It was a gift. It, it, a was, gift. it, was, yeah. it was a it was a kindness. Yeah. 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 So, it's so meaningful. Mm, it is really meaningful. Yeah. Well, I love this for you. You're kind of in this new new chapter, exciting mm -hmm. transition mm -hmm. of life. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Shall we go back in time? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go back to Ontario. Yeah. Just outside of Toronto. Yeah. Tell me about young you and childhood. Yeah. So I was born in a town called Newmarket. Um, and then we moved probably when I was three or four, my parents sold their house and we lived in a trailer on my grandfather, my grand, my mother had grown up on a farm and he'd sold the farmland and it was a sod farm, but the farmhouse was still there. So we lived in a tent trailer, my like one-year-old sister, my mom, myself, and my dad um, on the property for, I think it was probably about four or five months. Um, they bought a piece of land um, just outside of a small town called Sutton, um, five acres, and my dad designed and built our family home. So talk about homeschooling memories. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, he had basically, he worked his whole life as a civil servant for the city of Toronto, um, and he took the summer off, and they bought just cases and cases of beer, and, had, and his friends came and, and built a home. Um, and so he, he was, he went to school for engineering and then became a surveyor. So handy. Um, and, and yeah, so I grew up there, um, and my mom lived there right up until almost just two years, a year and a half ago. Mm, um, okay. and so we, so I lived there until I moved out. Um, I was homeschooled and so, um, and I, uh, I call it hippie homeschooling. <laughs> there's, I believe that there's sort of two trains of homeschooling and two different sort of reasons why people do it, and both are good for those people. Um, for my mom, it was more about exposing us to more of the world and not sheltering us, and that thought that if if we weren't just put into school with other kids our age, we could actually have broader experiences and meet more people, despite the fact we were in a very small not diverse town hmm. um, but we could do it through that mostly the amount of time we spent at the library through the literature we read through you know the plays we watched through the extracurricular activities that we got sent to and so there was always a sense of being able to connect with children our age through extracurricular activities but allowing ourselves to learn what we wanted to learn hmm. and read a ton and so I did not go to school until I was 12 
That's a that seems to be a like a long time. It was a if long you, time. Yeah. Especially for someone who went through just normal school. Yeah. 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 If I think was about it? 12-year-old kids, yeah. Or like I think about my friends who have children. Like, I mean, my mom did not work. She they they created their life so that my dad worked and sometimes two jobs, a lot of times two jobs, um, so that our family was supported and my mom could stay at home with us. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and we learned, and I say we because I have a younger sister, um, we learned to, I think, really love learning. And we were in choice about the fact that we were homeschooled. So from, I mean, probably, probably let's say around grade two or three, my mom would ask us every year, do you want to go to school next year? Do you want to keep staying home and doing it the way we're doing it? Or do you want to go to school? And I remember sort of as I reached the end of grade five, she was like, like what do you want to do next year? I'm like, I think, like, I think it's time. I think I'd like mm. to go see what that's about. Right, right. Um, I think I'm ready to like sort of be a teenager at school. Yeah, and meet new people. You're yeah. sort of in that time of your yeah, life where you're trying to explore and and find connect with others. Yeah, carve out like carve out those people that are like are really at the same place that you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, and I think that there's. It's interesting because sometimes people, when you when you tell someone that you're homeschooled, uh, an initial reaction can be like, "Well, you like homeschooled kids are under socialized." Like, I don't think that's my problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I I think that I'm you know have always been outgoing by nature, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was homeschooled and put into situations where I learned to connect with not just the people that I was put into a classroom with, but whomever was around me. Right. And I think for a different different kids, it might be different but certainly for myself and for my sister we're both outgoing in very different ways Mm -hmm. um but but it it worked really well and Mm. she my sister also went to school when she was 12 as well so she she followed she yeah she followed suit Mm, yeah very interesting she she didn't love it at first as much but then really like latched onto it and excelled in a very like traditional sense in that she was you know grade school valedictorian and president of the athletic society and I always like just just did fine (laughs) you know I did a lot of theater and and art-based extracurriculars but I also played some sports in in high school I did field hockey it was actually it was because it was the first year they had that team so you didn't have to be athletic they just let everybody on were you good though Mm -hmm. by the time by the time five years in and I was in Ontario at a time where we still had OAC um so so by year five, I actually considered, would this be something I'd want to do at a varsity <laughs> level in university? And I went to like a tried. I'm like, oh, no, not good. <laughs> I'm like, so that's not going to happen. No. So let me just yeah. go back to theater or something yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, or let's just like split the difference and go into business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I do think that it is, or at least I feel uh, that at some point doing team sports when you're younger is a really good experience mm-hmm. because you do learn, you know, those um, characteristics of like teamwork and, you know, feeling like you're going for a, a goal with a, you yeah. know, a team together and all the discipline, all of these things. Um, and so I, I grew up playing team sports. And so I'm very thankful for that. I think it's just a really good experience, whether you're uh, gifted in that way or, or not. not. <laughs> and I think that, you know, for me, um, in, I had a I went to a large high school because it was an amalgamation of a lot of small towns, um, and there was a big breadth and depth of like type of kid you went to school with, and so the type of kid that played sports was different than the type of kid I was in drama club with, 
And so the fact that I did all of those things, like, continued to build on that, like, my interest in being able to connect with not just, like, this one group of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think that it, like, it helped keep that part of myself rounded out. Right, yeah, a little bit like the breakfast club, you know, where everything's separate, (laughs) but you were sort of able to chameleon into whatever whatever group. I think that's a really, really good skill to have. Yeah. 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 That's so good. Um, I would love to learn, you were talking about your mother. Yes. I would love to know a little bit more about her and then also your father, about their personalities. Yeah. So my mom is the oldest of eight, um, but with a break. So she has half um, siblings. Um, and the she's the only girl until the very youngest, who's also a girl. And the youngest is actually three weeks younger than myself. So, wow. So an interesting family dynamic. So that farmhouse that we, that we had lived on the trailer on, um, three of my mom's siblings – were my age so Heather's three weeks younger and then Peter and Matthew were a few years older and so they grew up more like cousins than they did like aunts and uncles um and uh and so she yeah grew up on a farm uh went to nursing school was a nurse met my dad at a bar in town where he um, ID'd her because he thought she was cute um and, <laughs> and wanted her name yeah and and by the time she met, my mom had already been engaged, I think, like three times. Um, that may be a slight exaggeration, but I can think of at least two. Um, she had gone and lived in Alberta um, for a period of time um, and uh, and nursed there um, and, and then came back and eventually, yeah, met my dad who grew up sort of a little further south from her, his parents, um, parents of uh, German immigrants. Uh, who had uh, a car garage and a Shell gas station. So uh, my Oma and Opa were entrepreneurs. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so he grew up down the road from her, which is how they met in the community. Um, I should also, on my mom's side, she lost her mom very young. So my grandmother passed away when my mom was 20, which is why there's that sort of second set of siblings. See. My grandfather married a younger woman. Um, my mom also lost uh, her youngest brother, her youngest biological brother, um, in a bike accident um, when he was 13. So there was, you know, a lot of, I guess, tragedy is, um, you know, a lack of a better way um, to put it. But my mom was the matriarch of a family, of the family, mm-hmm. um, from, from a young age, um, and really likes to take care of people. I think she finds a lot of worth in being able to take care of people, even if sometimes it's hard on her. Um, and so that's sort of been a role that she's taken. Um, mm. you know, and I think that people have come in and out of her life that have really very much needed that. Um, and she's, she's been there for them. Mm. Um, and yeah, so so that's my mom, and then her and my dad met when they were about 23, and my dad is the oldest of three, um, and he was born in Germany, uh, and then they emigrated when he was three um, and started the business, and then his brothers are quite a bit younger. I think his second brother is about like seven years younger because by the time they got settled, 
um, and they came to Edmond, north of Edmonton first and then ended up in southern Ontario as well. Mm. Uh, and he went to school to Waterloo for engineering for a semester and partied way too much. <laughs> He'd never <laughs> been away from his, you know, my Oma, his, his mother, um, and, uh, and was in a co-op program. So he did his first semester, went to work for the city of Toronto in the co-op and worked there until he retired at 55. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a young age to retire it at. It was. That's great, actually. Servant, he mm-hmm. would. And it, you know, I think that, so my father passed away when he was 63. So six, almost seven years ago. And I think about so many of his best friends who were entrepreneurs, who, you know, who took that path, who still aren't totally retired, who are right. still working today. But my dad got eight years of retirement Mm. he got to sit for you know at least a year and a half and watch the golf network on the couch before my mom was like get up and do (laughs) stuff again he's like no but this is my dream yeah exactly (laughs) um so so yeah he so a civil servant his whole life um my and my mom was a nurse until she left work to stay at home with us and so I think that sort of that like entrepreneurship skipping a generation thing yeah. uh, would be would be true of my family. However, my sister is in a very stable like municipal government job and my sister's husband is a firefighter. So in my like close family network, I am I am the only one who not not just entrepreneurship but even like like um the public sector. Yeah. Or sorry, the private sector. Um my family have all done jobs more so in the public sector, not so necessarily part of, you know, business or right. or for-profit capitalism I suppose it's funny how that works it's sort of uh, very similar to my my sister and I yeah you know I've always been this person who's sort of followed my curiosities and sort of landed myself in in different careers mm-hmm. and uh, she's a teacher yeah you know doesn't get more stable no than that. no just <laughs> she's a teacher she just sort of worked her way up to an administrative job or sorry um yeah like where she's not a teacher anymore but she's doing uh, something at a, a higher level but I mean, that's what she couldn't imagine doing what I do. And I couldn't imagine doing what she does. But respect. I mean, Lisa and I 100%. all the time. And yet, and her and I, my sister and I had a conversation years ago where we were like, okay, we don't get it, <laughs> but we love each other. Exactly. And I respect all, it. And that's you know? all that matters. Totally. And that is all that matters. And I yeah. do think that even the, I have a piece of that, like, um, of that part of my dad where he worked someplace for his whole life, which seems unfathomable to us today. But I've worked in hospitality before I started Flex Home and, and my entrepreneurship journey. And I spent seven years at Bell Cafe with, like with the Hawksworth Restaurant Group, which is a really long time mm-hmm. to give to a hospitality role. And prior to that, I had been with Fairmont for like with a blip to go back and finish university but for almost seven years so I think that that like that part of my family is ingrained in me that like yeah. if you do something you commit to it for right for it's a while like steadfast you, you for, get as mm-hmm. much you give as much as you can to it and you get as much as you can mm. out of it and I think that you know yeah especially in the world of hospitality we see we see people hop around a lot unless it's their thing um and I'm like oh yeah that's that's the hide in me that's that stayed for as long as I did oh for sure Um, that and the fact that I really liked it did you speak German growing up no No, my mom was my mom is her family um are like of British and Scottish descent but Mm -hmm. but my mom is quite a few generations um landed uh Canadian I see and so 
she did not want my dad to be able to communicate with us and her not to be able to understand. Oh, yes. I mean, that <laughs> definitely makes sense. Um, I wish I wish I did know how. And my Oma is going to be 97. She's still alive. Wow. Um, and her and my mom have a very close relationship now, which they did not mm. basically until we lost my dad. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, for all of those reasons, we don't speak German. I see. Yeah. And you, would you say that you are the same as you were when you were younger or was there, you know, was there a huge evolution journey of your, of your personality? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, I think fundamentally, yes. I think that, you know, um, I still have like the curiosity is there. The creativity is there. I think like the responsibilities of adulthood, um, can stifle, um, you know, a lot of that, like we can call it our inner child or, or, or just that, like that dreamer side of us. Um, but I do think that if you were to ask my mom or my sister, if I'm any different, not at all. Mm. You know, fundamentally, my personality is still pretty similar. And that is that um, my sister, like, on the outgoing side, a little bit dramatic from time to time. <laughs> um, and I think that um, I really loved being on stage as a kid. I did a lot of community theater, and that was never going to be a, like, viable career option I say with air quotes because that is certainly I I grew up with parents who were like you can do whatever you want to do but you can't do theater <laughs> <laughs> like that can't be the thing you like do whatever but I think I think I was I'm from a generation where the art as a arts as a career wasn't necessarily understood by our parents or our guidance counselors um and so the business of hospitality um, became this like really excellent way for me to get a really practical university degree. I have a Bachelor of Commerce in Hospitality and Tourism from the University of Guelph. But the idea of being on stage, which is, you know, running service in a dining room or in the case of El Cafe, it's not dining room service, but it's taking care of people who come in to see you perform. You're performing as yourself, um, but it it has always, that hospitality piece has always fed um, that performance piece. Mm, that's so fascinating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then I think what I'm doing now, there is less of that in, in being an entrepreneur. So Fox Home is online. We are an e-commerce based business. We have a showroom uh, in Vancouver now, um, but it's not, that's not our primary sales channel. Um, so there's less of the, of that, customer interaction, that performance piece. Um, but there is a lot of like the, the other artistic skills that I get to exercise. So the, the product creation, the choosing the colors, the telling the story, like weaving the narrative of, of this is this idea that I had that we've now brought to life and being able to storytell it in that way. So it's less of the like endorphin rush of a busy service that you get in hospitality, but it's a whole other creative side of things that I don't know that I ever would have realized was on offer for me um, as, a, as a child for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I think that, you know, because you're generally pushed into slightly more traditional career paths 
And also, it, I went to business school. I did a business degree, but I think that there was a lack of understanding of, on my own part that entrepreneurship didn't mean you needed your own money to start a business. Mm. You need some, but one of the biggest learnings in like the last five, six, however many years we're at, at now, five, five years, is that if, if that business plan they teach you to write in business school is actually so you can go out and get money from someone else yeah, to yeah. help to help bring your idea to life mm. and, and put something that you want, something that you want it to see out there mm. for other people to enjoy. Let's take it back. Let's put a pin in, yeah. in this and let's take it back so that we can set the stage for Flax was Flax Sleep now Flax, Flax Home. Home. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, University of Guelph, yep. you got your degree, you went into hospitality, and um, now you're at Hawksworth and you're you're doing, you're running it, you've been running it for, you know, the seven years. Um, what, what did you learn most about running an establishment in that seven years? And, you know, it could be anything that's like process driven, but it could also be something that's just a feeling. Yeah. So I, so... I ran Bell Cafe, which is the cafe side of, of Hawksworth Restaurant. And um, when I was hired, Chad Clark, who has been on the show, yes. um, basically convinced me to do the job, even though I wasn't really sure. I'd been selling wine for a while. And I was like, I don't think I want to come back into the operations side. He's like, no, Anna, like, you're going to love this. He's like, really, your job is just to get to know everyone in the downtown core of Vancouver and make them feel like you're welcome, welcoming them into your home. I was like, that kind of seems like a bit of a like tall order and also like not very directive at all. <laughs> that is very abstract brief, but okay. Like Chad's an amazing salesman. He is incredible. <laughs> yeah. So he definitely sold me on the job. I was like, okay, I won't have to work weekends. I can like manage my own hours you know, or, or my hours are mine to solve for. So that means build your team, et cetera. And the, the cafe had already been open, but, um, I was there to like create this feeling of, of, of really what became my home in the downtown core of Vancouver. And I think what I learned through that process is it, it could be done. And that the way to have hospitality really speak to people is to consider that anybody who comes through the door is being welcomed into your home. And I think that, you know, Chad is someone who personifies that in the way that he does hospitality. Um, there's a few other people who I worked for. I worked for the Oliver Bonaccini group in Toronto for a while. And some of the, the people that I worked under, again, it was that even when you're in fine dining, it's that finding the balance of like, you are being treated as you are the most important guest in our home. I worked under an amazing man called Robin Bourne at the Empress um, in uh, Victoria, and he had that same spirit. And so all of those people who have continued to instill that into me and how that, how that reflects customer service, not just in the world of hospitality, but when you're out there in a product-based business is a way you can really make a difference. Mm. And it's because of that brief that I got from Chad that I began to form really strong friendships with the people that came in to Bell every day. And inevitably, two of those strong friendships were with Vivian and Juana, who are now my business partners in, mm. in Flax Home. I have a question in and around how one makes someone feel like they're coming into your home in a hospitality situation. Yeah. So for, for you, what, 
how did you make people feel welcome and um, without being like overbearing and being sort of like a, too much of a show pony? Like, yeah, yeah. And just striking that fine, fine balance. It's about finding, like quickly being able to figure out the people that want you to be a show pony and the ones that don't mm. and being able to tweak for that. Um, I think that, you know, something that Fairmont had systematized that can feel really uncomfortable until it doesn't is in at Fairmont, it's guest name usage. So learning the, like learning the name of the guest and then making sure, you know, if it was me, Ms. Hyde, referring to them by their name to make them feel like, like they're, they're an individual they're being taken care of. In the world of cafe culture, it's so easy to do it in a way that feels so natural in that the the method is I need to ask for your name to make sure you get your coffee. Mm-hmm. And then I need to make sure that tomorrow when you come back, I don't ask you for your name again. Right. I've remembered your name. And you maybe remembered a detail about that. Well, and yes. And, and, that, and then the next day you come back and you've remembered their drink and their name. And the day after that, you can start asking them questions about themselves and you can learn which law firm they work at and how many kids they have. Do they ski or snowboard? Whatever, whatever that sort of original, like sort of fundamental small talk ish stuff is. And then it grows from there. Mm. And, you know, we sort of would try to have a rule where we like tried not to talk about the weather if we could help it. Um, And so from time, we wouldn't ever do this officially, but there was times where me and one of the girls that would run the till with me would be like let's talk about porcupines today interesting (laughs) and you see how far we can get and you couldn't do it with everyone but you know with people who come in on a regular basis I'm like I'm not gonna ask you like well it's raining out here but like when was the last time you saw a porcupine and it was the kind of thing that that in that environment so in this like the quality of everything we were putting out and was was you know high quality but it was about like connecting with people personally and making sure they had like this moment of levity before they went back to their office I'm not sure that if I was running the Hawksworth dining room porcupines would have been an appropriate conversation (laughs) topic um but yeah and as someone who is not necessarily great at remembering people's names when I'm introduced to them in a social situation. Some people would think that I was bad at it, in fact. (laughs) It is crazy how good I could get and sort of push my team to get at being like, if this person drinks an Americano, their name is John. And Mm. just being able to connect those two things so much so that in the few shifts I've done at Flowerist, I've had people come in and I'm like, oh, like I completely forgot you existed, but your name is Paul. Right, right. It's almost like a word association yeah. type of thing. Yeah, and mm. uh, and it you know and it goes really far. And um, a few people on our team at at Flax now are women who used to work for me at Bell. And from time to time, we reminisce over the good old days, and we're like, remember when it used to be so busy in the morning that you'd have a big lineup, but like a regular would come in and they'd get in line, and we would know their drink order, so we'd put their drink order through. Um, and, and nobody would notice what was happening because we could do it so quickly, so much so that by the time they got to the counter, like to, up to the it front was of the line and paid, the drink was ready and they'd go. And it wouldn't happen to them every time, but we had this like system that we'd worked out. And it's those little things like that that make people feel like you've welcomed them into your home. And it also means, you know, because 
they're someone that I already have a relationship with. I could take care of them that way so that this person at the counter in front of me who I've only met once or twice, I can actually spend a Mm. little bit more time engaging with and learning more about um, at this stage in, in, in your service and you're getting to know this operation Um, and just, yeah, adapting the way that you take care of everyone that comes in quickly because it's, it's not a long style of service, but I find it, it's really rewarding. Like the, you know, in and out and you've been able to great system. Yeah. That's a great system because people are like, you know, you've, you've saved them time, Yeah, but you've still had a pleasant interaction and they feel cared for. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's so great. Yeah. And hard to train and systematize, but Mm -hmm. we were a group that worked alongside each other for a long enough time that we've got into a rhythm. Mm. And I do feel really lucky that I was, I was given the the space by both Chad and David to create a place, a work environment and an environment as a customer where I retained the people that worked alongside me for a long time so that we could get into this groove so that it wasn't always just me that was making people feel like I was welcoming them into their home, but that there was a team of us that was welcoming people mm-hmm. into their home. And I mean, that's that's the thing is like about life is if you can make deep connections with with people, you're happier yeah. and you have more more joy. Yeah. So it makes sense that most people would would stay because yeah. they probably had a great relationship with you yeah. and the customers because they were taught. Yeah. So, and that's incredible to have that retention rate. So much so that sometimes when you bring them a business idea, even if it's like the third or fourth business idea you bring them, they'll be like, yeah, let's let's do a business with you. And that's what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so um, to get into like the Genesis story of, yeah. of Flex, you had just, you were looking simply for yourself yeah. to find some bedding. Yeah. And that's how it all started. Yeah. Yeah. I had the like longer version. I had... Some of my favorite groups of reg- group of regulars were um, our animators at Sony and uh, people who did art as a career. Um, and, uh, and they were, in 2017, really into cryptocurrency. And I had been doing some indigo dyeing workshops in my backyard um, where people would come over and, and dye some indigo pillows and eat some sourdough bread. And, <laughs> and so I had a little extra cash and I gave it to, to one of my animator friends and was like, see what you can do with this. And so in like six weeks, he turned $500 into $3,500. Um, and I was like, okay, like I don't want to go any further. I'll take that back now. <laughs> um, and I bought myself a new mattress and it had a new bed frame made. And then was at the point of the like refitting my bedroom where I wanted bedding and had what I thought was a fairly sizable budget left over to purchase it and wanted linen. Um, specifically, um, I really liked linen clothing. I had read somewhere that linen slept cooler. It makes sense as like it's it's breathable as clothing, but I'm a really hot sleeper. So I was like, I really think I need to be sleeping in linen bedding. And I, at that point, really wanted to buy it from a Canadian company. Also was very unskilled at online shopping. Um, and so, but I tried and I looked around and I couldn't find anything. And so I sent a note at that point in time uh, Viv and Juana and I had a group chat about sourdough bread because we were doing a lot of sourdough bread baking in 2017 as well. 
Um, and, and they'd actually come to a couple of craft nights. They're both lawyers by trade. And so meeting me was like, Ooh, creativity. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they would come in a lot and be like, how do we get out of our law jobs? And I'd be like, what about this? What about that? They're like, legally, that's a terrible idea. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll keep trying. A lot of hard no's. <laughs> yeah, a lot of hard no's. Uh, and so when I couldn't find the bedding, they're like, Anna, just like, give us like a half an hour. We'll search the internet and find what you're looking for. And they're like, we, we can't it, even from a U.S. company at that point in time, it was still hard to find. So like a few days later, we sat at the, on the port, um, not the porch, like the patio at the art gallery and had some, uh, some Prosecco or maybe some Cure Royales and said, hey, I think that I think there's an idea here. I think that we should start an online company, a DTC e-commerce brand, and I think we should sell 100% linen bedding. We should try to see if we can manufacture it in Canada. We couldn't. That's a that's. I mean, it's certainly not at a price point that wasn't pretty prohibitive. Linen is already a really expensive textile, um, and uh, and nobody mills or manufactures it in Canada. Hmm. Uh, what makes it so expensive? So it has a lot to do with the growing process. So the crop rotation is like seven years mm. um, and the germination period. So the crop rotation is a piece of it, but the bigger piece is it's a 90 day, I believe it's 90 days uh, to grow, which is like more than double cotton. Oh, interesting. So as, I a, see. as a direct comparison, the, mm. the, it's the cultivation. And then there's um, linen for textile isn't grown as many places in the world. So it's a supply and demand thing so eastern europe is where so the flax that all of the so linen is made from flax hence flax home and it was basically that first day where wana was like we will call it flax sleep i'm like yeah like that that's punchy viv and i had no idea that linen was made from flax (laughs) wana was raised in eastern europe and so she knows she knew this (laughs) um and so uh yeah so linen is made from flax and uh, flax, yeah, flax sleep, and then later flax home. But the cost has to do with the limited places that it's grown. Got and, it. And okay. The period. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. So they were like, okay, let's do it. And we, you know, in the next probably, I think Viv probably went out and incorporated us as flax home, always knowing that we call ourselves flax sleep, but we would want a future where we could expand our product lines and not just do bedding. Mm-hmm. Um, Wana got on trying to source stuff. She is really good at finding things on the internet. So the fact she couldn't just buy me, find me some bedding to buy was, was like, indication <laughs> enough. Yeah. yeah. There's a gap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I started sort of reaching out to people for help with brand. So, you know, uh, we have a lot of skill sets. And although I find myself a creative person when it comes to actual like brand digital representation of things, it's just nothing that I would even be able to come close to touching. Um, and so we found ourselves an agency who also had a developer who could build out our website. We wrote a business plan. We went to um, Women's Enterprise Center and Futurepreneur um, for a loan. And Viv had worked at BDC, it's the Business Development Bank oh, of Canada. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, really incredible understanding of how we could access um, debt based financing to mm. start our business. Um, and so, you know, they, they put us through at the time, what felt like the paces, certainly we've been through a lot more paces since then, but yeah, so we, we secured a loan, um, around the same time, a little bit before that actually want to found a supplier in Shenzhen, um, that it looked like we're, 
we're going to do what we wanted. We placed an order. It arrived. There's photos of us unpacking it. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I imagined this linen bedding that I wanted to put out into the world would be like. So we're like, I guess we're going to China. Mm. Um, and so in January of 2018, we took like two or three days off work and flew to Hong Kong um, and, uh, and, and then did a day trip to Shenzhen to meet our manufacturer. And for a variety of different reasons, you know, there's the, before you're going to hand over that kind of money, you want to know that they're there. We'd never been to a factory anywhere before and you want to make sure that it feels like the, the working conditions feel right, that... Um, and you want to be able to like look in the eyes of the people that you're going to start doing business with. And I think that the first order we placed was so small relative to the orders we place now or even what like a company's minimums are. And I really think that if we hadn't have gone over there and made it really clear we were serious, there's a good chance that they wouldn't have sold yes. us bedding at Right. All. They would have said, no, thank They're like, you. Oh, these three yeah. girls, as they call us the three girls, which, you know, we've tried to move <laughs> away from that. <laughs> but it was really cute at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they, like, Clearly, they, they mean this, and they're still one of our suppliers today, so we still do mm. uh, a large percentage of uh, our product comes from them. They're an amazing family-run factory, and then we also work um, with factories in Portugal, and we've done some work in Lithuania as well. Okay, okay. Yeah. And I'm interested to know more about the dynamic between you three. I'd done some research, and uh, there was an article that said, you know, Juan is the brakes, you're the gas, and Viv is the engine. I don't know if that's still... Yeah. Yeah, proves I, to be true like, but yeah I'd love to know like more about that that's not that is not untrue I think it it depends and you know this many years down the road sometimes being the gas can be hard depending on um on you know I mean we've been through a lot in the last couple of years um and I think that the reality is 2020 was an amazing year for our business, despite the fact that when it happened, we were like, what's this could be the worst that people wanted to buy things online for their home. Mm -hmm. So we saw an incredible amount of growth. Um, Viv and I are in the business full time. Um, and uh, probably since that that article, we've grown a team. And so in it would have been 2019, 2020, when we knew we were going to start growing a team, Viv and Juan and I did um, like a bunch of coaching together um, to make sure that, you know, uh, our friendship is really important to us. And one of the first one of the things we did when we were in Hong Kong, in addition to like sort of writing out our business plan and dialing things in was like write a set of vows to one another, mm. which we haven't revisited in a while. But I feel like the last time we did, we were like, yeah, this all still rings really true. Um, but we wanted to make sure before we took other people onto our team, we had sort of at least been coached with the tools to work through the things that when it was just the three of us, you know, we could sit, we would sit in Juana's um, dining room and hash out. She was on mat leave um, in 2020. Yeah, that was right. 2019, 2020. Um, and so um, that's been really useful for us. But our roles, you know, we continue to try to, um, further define them. Juana is back um, in her corporate role full time. She still spends a lot of time talking to us, making big decisions, working on the strategy pieces. We mm. did our first equity raise this year. That's exciting. And so we brought with part of that, we brought in on some 
incredible advisors that have been so valuable for where we are going to take things. Um, and so Juan is still very much involved in those conversations. Um, having the three of us in a dynamic has always been good. I think that, you know, in a partnership, there would be times where, like, what if you both didn't agree who would split the difference? And so having the three of us helps with that. Right, right. Um, and it I could think, be like the mediator, you know, sort of vote or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and so, and so I, my like official role within the organization is chief creative officer, but that means a lot of different things on a lot of different days. And Viv is CEO. And again, it means a lot of different things on a lot of different days. Um, and we have uh, an amazing team, uh, but we're still quite small. And so we're involved in, you know, things from, from a C-suite level right on down to like doing some of the output, although it's been really nice to have a team go around us that mm -hmm. gets to do that too. And every day that we realize we don't know how to do something procedural within our company, like, oh man, like this means it's working. Mm. If there's something that is being done daily that we don't know how to do, that's great. That means we've, we've means released growth. it. Growth. Yeah. We've given it away to someone. You know, we need to make sure that it's written down somewhere so that if we had to do it, we could. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that mm -hmm. those, you know, the, those procedural documents are in place. But um, yeah, as our team continues to sort of make decisions and grow the business around us, yeah, it's super rewarding. Oh, I'm sure. I'm curious to know, um, I was meeting with a friend of mine yesterday, uh, Nick Lowe, and he was the founder of one of the founders of Myo Detox. And mm -hmm. they, they grew, obviously, in an incredible success. And we were just chit-chatting about entrepreneurial things. And we were talking about T2C, um, you know, companies. Yeah. And we were saying, oh, we don't think it's a very easy game. And I'm curious to know how... How um, competitive is the space for betting? Yeah. And like, how do you navigate that competition? Yeah. Um, I think that if you are in a space, it feels very competitive. Um, unless you're like, unless you're some sort of tech thing that nobody's ever thought of before. Um, so I think that, you know, there are a lot of different places to buy betting. Um, and there's a lot of different... Uh, price points at which so like total market everybody needs betting essentially so there's there's a huge like potential market out there but then how many people need linen betting shrinks our market a little bit well quite a bit um and we right now or since we've started have have focused on linen because it is that thing that we can sort of hang our hats on and say if what you want is linen come to us because it's the only thing we do so we make sure we do it really well the other way we sort of try to differentiate ourselves, and this is the part where, um, you know, being able to lean even more into that like creative officer role is how we do color. And so when we launched the business, it was, and, and when we launched the business, I was like, I, I just want white. Like, well, I, I only sleep in white sheets. Why would you need anything else? Well, because my closet is full of color. So the fact <laughs> that I thought that about betting seems weird, but. Um, and so we are now able to, still have those neutral colors but we really want to bring fun interesting pops of color in seasonally which helps with our repeat customer so dtc is hard and the cost of the cost of customer acquisition just keeps getting higher and higher and in 2017 2018 when we started the business dtc was something that you could gamify 
in mm. a sense, in terms of um, there was a lot of brands out there that just had understood digital marketing and they understood SEO and and that part and performance marketing and that whole piece of the marketplace. And they could sell a product through that as opposed to the part where they built a whole brand. Um, and we, although we're very focused on product and we think that, you know, most of our customers come because they want the product that we offer, we really care about building that brand and so, like a, a legacy brand, something that will be around and that people as they continue to be exposed to us can connect with. Mm. Um, and I think that as DTC changes, that brand piece becomes important and channel diversification becomes important as well. So for a long time, we're like, we don't have margins for wholesale. We wouldn't want to drop ship. That's something that we need to carefully look at as mm -hmm. our business evolves and is a huge, huge focus for 2023. I'm curious to know, is there any opportunities in, because I'm just thinking about hotels, which you, yes. you came from. Yes. Um, do do hotels have linen bedding? I'm trying to think of like when I stayed in hotels, not, do they, like, they not usually a, choose co more cotton or high-end cotton, right? Uh -huh. And it has to do with um, like a lot of things, but, but just like friction and linen and friction there's a wear that happens in linen. Like linen is a durable natural fiber, but I wouldn't put it in a high volume hotel. Mm -hmm. And so what the perfect place for linen in hotels or in hospitality is, is um, more of like your Airbnb vacation rental I style. See. So a lot of people are like, oh, the first time I slept in linen, it was in Italy at a, like at a, you know, a, like a cozy, yeah, yeah, at an inn in Italy. Right. Um, and so that is a part of also uh, sort of as we grow our business, actually offering a really sort of specific vacation rental um, package to people. And uh, there's more and more shoppable vacation mm. homes and Airbnbs out there where people actually integrate brands into their experience and then become affiliates of that brand so that if people stay at your Airbnb on Flax Homes Linen and they love it, if you link, right. if you tell people that's what they're sleeping on and they purchase from your link, you get a kickback. Ah, uh, so interesting. So we're working okay. on building that out. That's, that's actually one. That's super smart. Yeah. 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 I see. And uh, your collection, your last collection was inspired by Portugal. Yes. 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 And so what are we looking at for next year? Can we know? Yes. So the love letter to Portugal is, is what we're currently have currently released right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, um, is started in the spring and our last couple colors came out just probably three or four weeks ago. Um, but I mentioned that we have suppliers in Portugal and we started working with them in 2020, but in 2021, I was, um, able to go and visit and I'd already been thinking about color mm. that I thought we should work with in 2022. That's the year we're in now. Um, and the colors that I'd sort of envisioned, I got to Portugal and saw them everywhere. Oh, amazing. So yeah, we yeah. have a, color, a terracotta color that is like the, the roofs in Portugal. There's um, my favorite color is juniper, which is this deep green that is painted on the doors in Portugal, but throughout Europe, like you, you see like doors in Paris that are that similar, like deep green color. Um, and then this beautiful color, um, this beautiful blue, which is a personal like favorite blue in fashion for me that we've called Azure, that is the Portuguese like blue tile. Mm. Um, and then we also yeah. have mint, which was like the fourth color that I wanted in the collection 
And as I was in Portugal, I'm like, I don't know how we'll work that in. Like I can see it in some of the foliage and things. And then I got to Porto and like the first two buildings I saw were painted this like mint color. It was okay. meant to be. It's meant to be. Meant to <laughs> it be. was so meant to be. 2023, which is what's coming, is a collection that we worked on with Jackie Kyalis. Love Jackie. Yeah. So Jackie, we did a our first collaboration with Jackie was in 2020 and we did a, a kitchen collection called APT based on her home in Paris. Okay, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, so that that we we have done. That was 2020. And then um, last year we were like, I think that we were in a space where we're like, maybe Jackie wants to come on and help us with product development and innovation and her and I can work together on some of the things that we have planned for 2023 and beyond. And so the colors that we're just ordering now for 2023 are, are Jackie's color palette. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So really exciting. I feel like I might need some Jackie colors in yeah. my home. I mean, they're pretty Is good. It, yeah. <laughs> are they more? Okay. No, I'm just going to wait. I have so many questions right now. <laughs> Actually, she and I are supposed to catch up. So maybe I'll ask. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and we, we worked and it's so interesting, the like product life cycle, which is so different than hospitality, which is so immediate. But uh, yeah, we worked on this in like February of this year, but mm. like long before she had Kai, like um, we're working on stuff that then we won't actually see come to fruition until next year. So it's a, it's a long lead time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love that. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Absolutely. Something else that I love you and I were talking about before we started recording is that in case there are any returns, which, you know, doesn't happen often, those get donated yeah. to Atira, which is a really great organization. Yeah. And I feel like a really great way to give back yeah. in, in yeah. that way. So that's so great. When we started the business uh, and we knew it was going to be DTC, so online, um, and you were trying to sell someone betting, we felt like you really need a strong return policy. You need people to know that if they didn't like it, which again is not our return rate is low, um, but if they didn't like it, um, they could return it. And we also knew that we didn't want that to be waste. That was not going to feel good. And so how, who could we donate um, those returns to to give that product another life? And mm. so we call it a safe place to sleep is sort of the the, That's great. the tagline yeah. for it. And so we were connected with Atira. Mm. <clears throat> and so, yeah, all of our all of our returns are there, go there. Um, and every time we don't drop them off, like the... The, the people that work there are like, these are really appreciated when they go out into the community. And we make donations to Atira um, as a business, um, as a percentage of sales um, uh, twice a year. And then actually right now we're in our Black Friday period. Um, and we've added an option to have our customers make a small donation directly to Atira as well. Um, and it has been probably, well, it has been the most rewarding part of this, this like, period of consumerism which is very important for our business but it's been so amazing to see that almost everybody's made a small donation and oh that that's great be able to pass along to Atira as well so, oh that's beautiful yeah yeah so that. that that is um that is really yeah wonderful work that we've done with them and now because our showroom is on East Hastings so you know in the downtown east side we work we're very close with many different Atira um sort of initiatives including one called the enterprise women making art which is this beautiful like gift shop of of um things that women who live in the downtown east side have created and it's on the same block as us so 
everything, everything is close by. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. near and dear to your heart. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just have a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, the first question being, okay, so now it's Flax home. Yes. So what's, what can we expect under home? As I mean, there's the bedding, but yeah. is there other things? Is yeah. there going to be like loungewear and all of those other things? Yeah. So we, when we switched to home, we added, it was around the same time that, well, just after actually the, the kitchen collection with Jackie, we also have an heirloom dine collection that we launched this year as well. Um, we do some things for the bathroom. So hundred percent linen waffle towels, um, that, uh, I love, um, I just got some samples of a new sort of, uh, tote bag, both in a daily size and a weekender size that uh, we are working on that will come out early next year. Um, There's a world where we, in addition to 100% linen, look at starting to do some blends so that we can offer some different price points to the market, um, which feels really important right now. Um, And uh, another big project actually, which is still part of sleep, but is creating the perfect duvet insert for our duvet covers. Um, because not all duvets are created in the same size. Um, mm. what if every, every queen bed is the same dimension, but every queen duvet is not. Um, so those are some things on the, on the immediate horizon. And then is there a world where loungewear is part of what we do? Yes. We definitely need a more fulsome design team to get there. You, yes, <laughs> clothing, it's coming. Clothing it's sizing coming. is, it is, it is coming. So yeah. Yeah, and I think for us right now, staying in the soft goods space is is where we'll continue to play. But that doesn't mean that there's not some interesting things we can do, mm. um, you know, with candle, other yeah. candle with everything. Yeah, yeah, right. I was thinking about that. I was like, I think there's, <laughs> there's probably there's gonna be candles. That, maybe yeah, 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 I'm yeah, sure we'll come. Um, another thing that I'm really excited to work on probably for 2024 is everything we do right now again lots of attention to the color and and where it came from and how it works on the season prior but we haven't done much pattern we have we have some stripes and we've got some like really subtle pattern coming on behalf of Jackie next year but like actual something Mm, something bold bold. like what's in your closet like what's in my (laughs) closet and so I have a I have we've started a few conversations but I have a dream where you know we we work with an artist to create something that can be printed onto a duvet um so that you're actually like you know you're sleeping sleeping in art sleeping under art yeah yeah so that that is that is a creative project that uh that I'm looking forward to making sure sees the light sooner rather than later. Very cool. I was thinking, sorry, I'm so fixated on the candles. (laughs) (laughs) I went into a cocoa and olive or a olive on, uh, on main street. And, um, they've really built out the retail section of the cafe and they had those like these beautiful tapered candles in yeah. all kinds of colors. Yeah. And I was just like picturing like flax and all of your different oh, like, like the colors to the, match. The, mm-hmm. Yes. Because sometimes I think about candles as like the scent and I find that scent is very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, tapered candles yeah. to match the color. Yes. And I never, I never thought of it until I got them as a gift from the artist Zoe Pollock. When she yes. came to come see me, she brought me these beautiful, like kind of minty, green yes candles 
And I loved them when I put it in my little, you know, candle holders and then I lit them and then the way they melted, it was just, I just, I really loved it. Um, so yeah, anyways, just just the thought, colored candles to, to match your collections. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. And so two more questions. Um, with Viv and Juana, how have they been mirrors for you over the years, reflecting things about yourself that you hadn't seen before? I think that, so I think that, you know, in my past careers, um, you haven't been working with friends. Um, You've usually been working for men. Um, And I think that, and uh, at the risk of people who I've worked with hearing this, um, I, Viv and Wana are two of the most intelligent women I know. And not that I haven't worked for people who are smart in the past, but um, when, when you're in hospitality, it's, it's a similar skill set, right? Like your, your playing field of, of what you understand and how you do things is, is quite level. Um, so to enter into a business with women who have been trained in something entirely different than me, who look at things in an entirely different way, has reflected back sometimes, to be honest, frustration with the like, why don't I see it that way? Um, like, wh- why can't I edit things as well as they can? Like, wh- why am I missing that? And also sometimes this um, this sense of like, because I, I hold them in such high regard in terms of like, in so many ways, I sometimes forget that, well, if if I think that or thought that or know that, they must mm. think, have thought or know that. And then it has been a constant exercise of me reflecting back to myself that like, no, actually there, there are things that I know or things that, you know, some of that like innate creativity stuff um, that, that I do need to make sure is, is shared and that is part of what I bring to mm. to this group um and i think that you know we we're really good at knowing what the other one is good at um and i think for me it's continuing to push myself to be like yeah like this this is the thing and that that if i don't know that thing that they both know that's okay and that's why i'm in this business with them Right. And that sometimes, you know, I could have found other people in hospitality who thought the exact same way as I did to like and got them on board for this crazy ride. But we would not be here um, because we all had the same skills. Right. And so and so I don't know if that exactly answers that question, but that's sort of how I see myself through them. And sometimes it's hard, Mm. um, but I think it's supposed to be. Yes. Yeah. You can't grow without the hard yeah. and the discomfort. So yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Okay. Maybe I have two more questions. Okay. <laughs> that was, that was like three. <laughs> what, what brings you joy in life? Um, other I, than taking care of people yeah, like okay. outside of yeah. that. Yeah. Which, which is the good call out for anyone who's been in hospitality because it's mm-hmm. defaults. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think things that are beautiful but unique I think that like I think you know like honestly like 
bright colors and seeing things that are are special work together. Um, I'm this is like I'll take it back to Ubuntu. I was I go on Saturdays after I get groceries and get a Canelli. And I remember looking up at some of like the plateware in this like beautiful sagey green and just being like, that's so beautiful. Like that that piece of ceramic makes me really happy. Um, and so I think that like that's the thing that brings me joy that I think I can directly relate back to sort of this product-based business that I'm in. And then the other thing I think is is community mm. um, and the people around me. And I think that um, from a young age of, of being able to connect with people from a lot of different diverse backgrounds, I think that I've built a group of friends around myself that are an incredible community. Um, and then I think that in this entrepreneurial journey, the community that's come alongside that, um, especially Vancouver is a city with a lot of amazing female entrepreneurs that are incredibly supportive of one another. And the joy that that's brought is for sure the biggest gift in this whole entrepreneurial journey. Mm. The the getting to like, you know, deal with beautiful textiles and put those out in the world is, you know, that's a very like, um, I guess in like intrinsic, like, you know, tactile joy, but the the community is mm. like, yeah, just, yeah, amazing. It's Always. Amazing. It's number one. Yeah. It's number one. Yeah. I, I am really glad though that you mentioned you know, going into Ubuntu and, you know, getting your, your little treat and then seeing the ceramics. Um, I don't know where I read this, but it's an exercise that I did a number of years ago, probably five or six. And it was, um, it was a simple directive and it it was, um, write out your magnetism list. And what that meant is what are the little things that, that bring you joy. And, uh, I have like an ongoing Google doc that I, I copy every year and I fill up my goals and you know how I want to feel every year and then my magnetism list. And most of this is the same. I never remove anything, but sometimes I will add things. So it'll be things like, I love when I see black and gold together. Um, I love when someone smiles at me and I see a twinkle in their eye. I love when I see old people holding hands like that kind of magnetism list. It's really fun to do because it allows you to, just appreciate the tiny little yeah. things and tiny little moments that happen yeah. around you and for you. And I think that, you know, back to Jackie and I all, I think that like getting to know her and knowing that that's so much of that, like simple beauty is something that she values so much has been, you know, as, as part of that, I know her because of this, this greater entrepreneurial community, but that, that beauty and joy is something that she's always like, she's, she's very good inspi- at it. Amazing. Yeah. And it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. My final question. Okay. With what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind? Yeah. I was really nervous about this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I listened to the podcast and I thought about it a lot. And I pulled two of my best friends. Um, and I was like, I'm going to be on this podcast. So we need to talk through this. <laughs> um, I think back to that community of female entrepreneurship and that understanding that if you have an idea and you want to try something that you can and that you know there's it can it can be harder for women to there are more barriers especially when you get to a growth stage and you're looking for access to capital or even at that beginning stage where I didn't know that 
I could write a business plan and get debt financing. So I think that, you know, continuing to be able to help other women in business understand how to get where we've gotten to. And as we continue to get further, be able to help people grow. I think that I think that has a lot to do with it. And I also think that it's not too old. You're not too old to follow a dream. And I'm not that old, but Vivimwana and I were on the later side of our 30s when we started this business. And, you know, a lot of the amazing people we've met are generally much younger. And so when you when you've been established in your career, and I feel like you and I have even chatted a little bit about this, that the stakes are higher. Um, but that doesn't mean that that it isn't something that people should try because I think that I think that I want people to know that if there's something that you feel passionate about running down, you should do it. Yeah, I I agree. I think that you should if you if you feel like you can you've got this like just do it yeah. because I also feel at this you know this age and stage of life you probably have enough experience that say the lesson is like it you know you you tried your best and it, it didn't work for example you are smart enough and probably connected enough to yeah. get a job yeah yeah but what if it, it was 30 years down the road and you're reflecting and you just say oh I really wish I did that mm-hmm. and then then it might be a, mm-hmm. a little bit too late mm-hmm. you know yeah, so I want people to know that if they want to do something, they should try. And that mm. if you're a woman and you want to start a business, that you should. And that I want to, you know, be able to make sure that we can continue to support women that want to do that. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much Thank for so being much. here and bringing your energy into this room. And every time I see you, just big smiles and, and laughs. And I've really, really enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I, I love this new friendship. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Thank you, Amanda. (laughs) Thank you, Amanda. We love you. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jay Bagaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.